Hello. Roll call. Roll call. I'm here. Everybody's here? There's uh, Kirk not here. I'm not sure. I see a person plus, so I'm guessing maybe not. Ah. I might have to add him later. Or I don't know how that works because he's on this call. Gotcha. Well, he said he was uh, out sweating up a storm or something. I don't know. Yeah, he mowed the grass. Uh, it's too hot to be mowing the grass these days. Yeah. I mowed last night. Yeah, I did, uh, I did like a few days ago. Hello, senors. Oh, good googly moogly. We got picture in picture. What's going on? We got video. Yeah. What's going on with the uh, with the video? I don't know. You must have turned it on. <laughs> you look like you're fresh out of a shower. <laughs> we got high tech Kirk working over here, right. using his video capabilities, so you'll be able to see him on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna post it on YouTube? Nobody wants to see that. I promise yeah. that. Yeah, we're gonna get that on YouTube. We we're we're now a video podcast. Oh man, the not ready for prime time the, players. The, the, it the is tech, the technology that Kirk has added. He's like a computer guru. <laughs> well, you remember I'm on my phone, right? You got a lot of technology on that phone. It's a super-powered phone. Well, it is a smartphone, but it's operated by a dumb person, so it doesn't do me a lot of good. Oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, I, you don't want me to release that as a YouTube video of you on the can? If you want to, go right ahead. But that's, that's, that's <laughs> probably get some YouTube strikes. <laughs> Kirk's uh, broadcasting live from the toilet. Kirk, how hot is it there today? I don't even know. I didn't. I haven't even looked at the forecast. All I can tell you is, based on my boob sweat, it must have been at least ninety something. Yeah. With, with some high humidity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mowed the other day. I've I've started trying to not do uh, mowing until after five in the evening these days because it's it's just too hot during the day right now. Well, it's saying the high tomorrow is going to be 93, so I'm guessing it's probably about that today. Yeah. 84 but, degrees but it, right now. It was late over there if he just finished, so. That's true. Yeah, I, I did it late, I, but I was, man, I've been on the go all day, and I was mopping and, and trying to clean up in the kitchen and living room and hallway, and I couldn't do anything because everything was wet, and I was waiting for it to dry, and I said, well, I'm going to go cut a little grass and see if it's dry enough to go cut some grass right now and it's not as dry as i would have liked it but it was dry enough for me to get a little done i'm living in a dadgum jungle right now yeah you at least got a, a, a riding mower these are machete well, it's a machete I, I do have a riding mower technically but nothing works right now except for my electric push mower so. oh yeah Make sure you tell my wife and doctor I'm getting my steps in, doing my exercise, pushing an electric mower through the jungle. Oh, man. It's a machete all the way through, baby. I do have a machete. Yeah. When you have as many snakes in the woods as I do, you carry a machete, you keep 
I keep a shovel by the door in case. There's I, pi- I, I picture your backyard. I picture your backyard is like uh, a Tarzan landscape. Mix Tarzan and Sanford and Son, and you've got my backyard. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do 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 do. Do 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 I never watched it, but uh, there was this movie we used to carry at Blockbuster called Gator Bait, and uh, it has. I think I wa- rented that. Before. And it has like a picture of like South Florida woods, and that's what I that's what I think of when I think of Kirk's house is a cover of Gator Bait. <laughs> It's probably pretty accurate. I mean, yeah. I'm surrounded by woods. I can't actually see any of my neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Um, I could be I a joke good thing. sometimes that I can, when I walk out, that I can feel the snakes just watching me. Oh man, what kind of snakes are there though? Because some snakes uh, are harmless, like garter snakes. What there's kind of... nothing harmless. Nothing. The Lord <laughs> cursed the serpent. I have no use for them. Did you Did you get to the the theater today, Mike? I did. Snake Eyes was awesome. As I was about I, to say, he's got one of them big anacondas out in the yard. <laughs> yeah. Did you see Snake it? Snake Eyes does. Oh, yeah. We went yesterday. The, I, I, I actually love the changes to the origin yeah. because because I, I'm currently reading like a lot of G.I. Joe lately. And right. I think I think it I think it it takes like a um, a typical type of villain story. And mm-hmm. turns it, 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 it like flips the script, and I like appreciate their complex relationship a lot more now. Oh yeah. I I just think it it added so much more to their relationship. Plus, uh, you guys know I love Warrior, and the guy that is one of the characters, so that plays Tommy is is the lead in Warrior, and I I love that. And then I love that they took the other show I love is Money Heist, and right. She's she's Baroness, and I'm like, holy crap! Oh, she was freaking awesome. Oh my god! I yeah, oh. she was great. I got a question for you though. I I sat through that entire movie to hope to see Larry Hama's name on that big screen, and I didn't he, see it once. He was did there you? with the umbrella, right? No, I mean, like, did they show his name on screen? Oh, like, I don't you know. know. I he's... thought I thought he made a guest appearance, but oh, okay. like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I went and looked at the credits to see if he was there, but I didn't stay for the credits. Okay. Because the yeah, bar I'm... basically said, "Hey, there's no after shots besides the one we just saw." And oh um, yeah, the one on the plane. Yeah. 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 I was bummed because usually, you know, they'll say like characters created by you know joe siegel and schuster and yada yada and and i thought we'd get to see like you know how much larry put into those characters i figured for sure he would show up on uh, in the credits and i don't remember seeing it you you stayed for the credits and didn't see it huh yeah i was i was hoping they'd give him something i was like come on i mean how many how many years has that man given you guys come on (laughs) that's a lot of years still (laughs) doing still doing it i can't believe that's what i'm saying it's still good too yeah it's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I I liked it way more than I thought I would. I was so glad I got to the theater. Yeah, me too. I was I, I, I there was one joke where I went ugh, but uh, outside of that, I, I thought it was pretty pretty good top to bottom. And it got better as it went. Like if the action scenes were good, they weren't yeah. too long. It was really good. Yeah, I liked the pacing a lot. I was into yeah, it. Barb too. liked it a lot, and she didn't. She didn't know what to expect, and I think it was her favorite G.I. Joe movie. 
Oh, definitely. Definitely, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. Of the Hasbro movies, I think the only one I've liked better was maybe Bumblebee, but that's because it was basically like an 80s movie. Bumblebee was really good. Bumblebee yeah. was my favorite Transformers movie. Yeah, but but, but I, I was interested. I, I think the time period hit a sweet spot, too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. yeah it had that Iron Giant vibe that I, I liked, too. Yeah. All right, yeah, this, Kirk, we're this... leaving you out, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to see Snake Eyes at some point. I know you're a Joe fan. Why don't y'all talk about having money and, and stuff, the other things I can't relate to? Oh, come on, dude. Anyway. Put your kids to work. Yeah. Have your kids mow the yard and you I go see the movie. It. it was it was our turn to clean the church today. And I gave every my 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 sons a specific task. And they both finished that little bit and I'm still vacuuming the sanctuary because it's real big. And I told my son, You take over vacuuming while I move some of the stuff and then you vacuum where I've moved it and then I can carry it right back. And all of a sudden, his foot was terribly hurt. He had a mortal wound. He's dying. And he can only mo- move the vacuum like one inch an hour. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, just give it back. Just forget it. I was like, mm. Jesus is disappointed in you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's been that kind of day. Yeah. Well, I thought we'd start off with uh, our uh, top top five uh, Western films. And uh, I, I think there could be a lot of redundancy, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah, if there is, there is. Yeah, I, I don't know. So I, I thought I would go from top to bottom, and I'll, I'll start with my number five, and then you guys will go around. Right. So uh, my number five was uh, the Magnificent Seven, the Yul Brenner version. I, I I love that movie. So yeah, that's a that's a good one. My problem with westerns lately is um I don't really have any to watch anybody to watch them with. So most of the stuff I've seen was many many years ago, and some of them just aren't super fresh in my head. But um. Magnificent Seven. That's that's a fine one. I mean, that you got the whole they're down there trying to protect a village and kind of like a mercenary group. That's a good stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh like that John Boy uh science fiction movie. It's it's the same movie. It's oh yeah 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 yeah. I remember y'all were talking about that on one of Battle the Beyond the brunches. Stars. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's the it's that version. It's a bunch of mercenaries, kind of guns for hire. Right. That are have to protect a town that has no money really. <laughs> and and they're they're kind of like specialty you know, each one has its own specialty and they remade the movie and there then there's the Magnificent Seven Returns. Um but yeah, I really like it. So so you wanna go next, Joe? Sure. Um I didn't do mine in any particular order because like I say, some of these I know I love them, but I can't even barely remember the plot. So um, I'll go with the one I remember the least about, but I know for a fact I've watched it multiple times, and I, I, I love the general gist of it. And that's The Shootist with John Wayne, where he's basically um, he's, he's an old-time gunslinger, and he's kind of on his last leg, and, you know, 
he's got to go go fight one more time kind of a deal. And I think it may even have been one of John Wayne's very last movies. I don't. I never it never seen that movie. one. What did you say, Kurt? It it was. It was his last movie. Yeah, that's what I thought. And it, it it's one of those that kind of influenced another one I'm gonna pick later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, and the his character in the movie was dying of like cancer or something. That's right. And yep. he wanted to, he wanted to go out with his boots on. Right. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I I actually watched the end of it recently again when I saw it on TV. Usually when I see those, I stop, even though I've seen them a hundred times. I rarely see them in order because I'll catch them on TV and watch part of it. Yeah. And I I was wondering when he was filming this, did he know he had cancer? Well, you you wonder, uh, man. What was the movie that everybody died from uh, from cancer after working on the filming of? Is one of those they shot in the desert? Was it like Genghis Khan or something? And he was part of that. It might have been. Did you ever hear that story? That. Like like half the cast died, and it it was all cancer related. And I feel like they they shot out where they had done some of those atomic testing. It. Very well could have been. I'm not sure. White Sands or something? (laughs) Yeah. But he was like a heavy smoker anyway, so he was he probably wasn't in the best of shape from that to begin with. Well to be fair, I think most of the people back then were. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I think almost everybody's parents smoked. Yeah. My and my dad did. My parents didn't. Nobody smoked except for my grandfather. Yeah, I, I can't remember my grandfather smoked, but uh, one of my one of my grandparents was dead before I was born, so I never I never met him. What about Uncle Morty? Did he smoke? Oh, good lord! All right, Kirk, what's your number five? Oh, uh, I don't know about number five necessarily. I guess maybe. Because I've had, I've got Magnificent Seven on my list. That's probably my favorite. I've got The Shootist on my list. Nice. I would, I would say maybe Tombstone would come in at number five. Ah, that's my number I, one. I love, <laughs> I love Val Kilmer's performance in that, especially. Yeah, he's great. Oh, I think they're all good. So is that guy that's in the Terminator what, that plays Ringo, Johnny Ringo. Yep. He's oh they're my God, good, he's but, but everybody's good. You got Powers, gone. Powers, Burt Booth, Kurt Russell. I mean, it, it's it's lined up with stars. Yeah, I love that movie. That's one of those I need to rewatch some point. So I, I mean, I'll, I'll just uh, p- piggyback on yours and just say that's my that's my favorite. I've seen that one the most too of all the of all the westerns. Yeah, that that's how I'm going with my number one. It's it's the one that I've seen the most and I remember the most about. I remember every line of this. We can quote it. I mean, it's a <laughs> great movie. I was actually talking to somebody on Twitter this week. It's an artist named Michael Lynch, and he said he had not seen it. And I was like, "You've got to see it. You've got to see it. If you like westerns at all? It's definitely." something you should watch yeah i've always liked val kilmore but man he stands out like like i imagine doc holiday to be like him like <laughs> i i just picture him and and all the other portrayals because at the same time this thing was shot the 
the other movie Wyatt Earp came out too, and I didn't right. care for that one as much. And I know this one was more Hollywood like eyes, um, but it, it just worked because the performances were just uh, pretty incredible. I loved it. Yeah, nobody remembers Wyatt Earp. I remember it in that I didn't care for it, and I was well, shocked there you go. because Kevin Costner at that time was like, if he was in it, I was going to rent it and watch it and probably enjoy it. And I was shocked that here's Kevin Costner making a Western, and I don't like it. I, I, I think a good safe Kevin Costner rule is if it involves sports, it's usually pretty good. And that covers like <laughs> Bull Durham, Tin Cup, uh, and uh, what's the one called? Um, Field of Dreams. So, yeah, if it's a sports movie, Costner is usually pretty good. I like him in Dances with Wolves. I think that's my uh, that's favorite. True. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that one's that's sort a of a one. Western. but I, I would say that's a Western. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd put it in Western. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I that one didn't make the list, but it could have. Yeah, it was it would be in my top ten, maybe not my top five. Yeah, definitely. So um my next one is a, a Clint Eastwood one and a fairly current one. It, it's uh, Unforgiven. So I, I've watched a lot of Clint Eastwood uh, movies. And two of them made my list. Like it's weird because you guys mentioned, you know, John Wayne. None of, no John Wayne's made my list, but the Alamo was close. <laughs> I just love the Alamo. But where uh, you played David Crockett, but um, Unforgiven is is a story of uh, a prostitute is beaten and then they have to go into town to get revenge on them. And Gene Hackman is the sheriff. And more, he, he rides along with a, a young uh, boy that's learning. He wants to be a fighter. And then he rides along with Morgan Freeman. And they go in town. And it, it's like a revenge story. And I, I really, really love that movie. It's a really good one. That's that's my uh, that's number three on my list. And uh, that's the one I think that shoot, the shootest is kind of an influence on. Because once again, it's kind of a, of a retired gunman scenario. Yeah, and, uh, he, he he's picking up the guns one last time because he has to. But yeah, that one definitely made my list. I love The Unforgiven. I've seen it probably almost as much as the one I picked for my number one. Nice. So what do you got next? Uh, Next, it's a little bit of a cheat, but I was having a hard time leaving it off the list because it, uh, it was one I enjoyed so much. And that's Lonesome Dove. And I know it's almost more like two movies in one because I think it was actually one of those ABC or CBS movies that was over two nights, like a miniseries. I thought but, it was you know, a long, like a uh, mini, like a mega series, but I thought it was just a well, I don't know, a blockbuster it was, two, was like two, two tapes, two, two tapes. Yeah, so I always assumed it was probably two nights on TV because I only ever rented it. I had never seen it on television, but yeah, because that uh, was direct to TV, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, but that was that was one you've got. Um, uh, I can't even think of the guy's name now. It's driving me crazy. Uh, the guy who played Boo Radley in To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, oh man, I'm getting old, man. I've been hitting the head too many times. I can't remember stuff anymore. <laughs> but uh, Tommy Lee Jones is in it, and uh, the guy that I can't think of his name right now. Robert uh, Duvall. Robert Duvall. Thank you. And the the two of them, their camaraderie is great. It's kind of like a, 
grumpier old men or the odd couple. They're just kind of crotchety and old and they're sitting out on this farm and they decide to do like one last cattle drive and it's got the hooker with the heart of gold in uh, uh, Diane Ladd. And it's just, it's just a really good movie or movies, however you want to say it. But it, it's, it's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. I, I, I didn't even think about putting that on the list because in my mind it's a TV miniseries, but it is probably, if it, if it qualifies for movies, it would probably be my number two. I, I just love it. I've got it on, VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. See, yeah, I've only ever watched it in a sitting, so to me, I always think of it as a movie, and that's why I say it's kind of a cheat, but, like, when we would watch it, we'd just sit down and watch all, you know, I don't remember if it's, like, six hours or what, four or six hours, and we'd just sit and watch it. But. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big deal. I remember my dad had read about it in the paper, and he was never a TV guy growing up. And he would be like, what channel is whatever? I think it was CBS. I think I'm it was sure. CBS. Yeah. But he was like, what channel is CBS? Because I've got to watch this. <laughs> we sat down and we watched it over, a, I want to say it was over like three nights. That and, that might be right, yeah. And I was, Minus commercials, that'd be like five hours or something. I think four he had read hours. the book, but right. I have not. But I was just blown away, especially with all the guest stars. Because, you right. know. Here's Robert Urich and Danny Glover and Oh yeah, Robert, Robert Urich is great. Di- Diane Lane, Adjical Houston, right, yeah. DB Sweeney. Just, it, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's Steve, really good. Steve Buscemi's in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was one of those yeah, that anybody the... who was anybody just about was in it though in in that era. So yeah, it was good stuff. All right, Kirk, you're up. Well, I'm not. I think of this as a more modern Western because I was trying to decide. I was, you know, at first I was like, my list is too, too heavy with recent movies. And then I realized this movie is coming up on like 35 years old. It's Silverado, which I absolutely (laughs) adore. Got Brian Dennehy and uh, Kevin Klein, I think is his name. Yep. And just, just a wonderful movie. I just really, I, 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 it was another one of those. I saw it on TV the other day, and I just stopped what I was doing, and I watched the rest of it. My wife's like, you know you have that on DVD. I was like, yeah, but I, I don't know where my DVD is immediately, and right. here it is right here. Yeah, that, that's one I've never seen. I'll have to put that on my list. I I've, I, I've seen that one, but I don't remember it. I saw it at the theater when it was it's released. It's one of those, when I first saw it, I liked it, and the more I watch it, the more I love it. And it's gone from like to love. And it's got Kevin Costner in it. It's one of his earliest roles. Right. There you go. Once again, Kevin Costner in a Western. There you go. Westerns and sports movies. That's that's why, you know, Wyatt Earp is like anomaly. You know, it's like, what what happened here? (laughs) So my next one, I'm going to group two movies together because they're together. Um, Young Guns and Young Guns 2. I love these movies. <laughs> and I, I became so infatuated with Billy the Kid because I love the movie so much. Me and Barb even took a tour to where uh, he busted out of jail. Um, Billy the Kid did. And they had the, you know, those bullets in the in the walls. And yeah, it, I just I, I just became infatuated with it. And I love, I love, love, love the plot for this. Like, 
I uh, I wish there was. I heard there was going to be a third one coming out, but <laughs> I don't know how no they would way. do it. But uh, they. Uh, I can't remember the guy who did it. I think his name was Fusco or some. I can't remember what his name was, but he he wrote like a really fictional version of Billy the Kid, and it had Lou Diamond Phillips, Keith Sutherland, and the act. You know, Christian Slater was in the second one, and I I just I really really love these movies. Um, and I'll catch them. They're like Tombstone for me, and I know they're more current stuff but in it and it starred all of the you know teenage heartthrobs at at the time you know like right. St, the saint elmo's fire breakfast club type uh characters you know that you saw in any of the john hughes movies and stuff but i i god i i really thought this was like a masterpiece as a western yeah, I, I, I remember seeing Young Guns 2 actually before I saw the first one because it was on like TBS or something. And yeah, yeah I, I was, that was that was good stuff. Christian Slater, yeah, I remember really liking him in that movie. Yeah, I'm he was enough ca- to be able to say I saw those in the theater. I saw him in the theater, too. <laughs> I'm the oldest, I think, of all of us. But um, yeah, I, I, these were great. Balthazar Getty was in there too. He was the young kid uh, that gets killed that was riding along with Billy the Kid in the second one. I know his name, but I don't know what else he's been in. He's Uh, one of those, if you saw his face, you'd know him. Lord of the Flies. I don't know if you saw that. Um, The remake. We made made a class trip to the theater to watch that one because we were reading the book at school. I'm pretty sure Balthazar Getty is one of the main characters in Lord of the Flies. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He, he. I was gonna say, I know Kirk's probably never seen it, but I remember him from Lost Highway. Do you remember that one? No, I do not. Mike, do you ever see that? It was a really weird. No, I, uh, I, I David Lynch movie. I I don't know too much David Lynch. I'm not the okay. biggest David Lynch fan. Um, yeah, it's I know really I know he's movie. got like a uh, cult following. It. Yeah. I think I've seen Blue Velvet and couple of other ones but uh in parts of twin peaks but uh didn't he do dune too uh yeah he did yeah Yeah. i've seen dune yeah i love i love blue velvet that's one of my all-time favorites young guns is on right now boy barb was pointing to me (laughs) nice (laughs) young guns too (laughs) hey there you go that's that's my favorite of the two because that was the first one i ever saw (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, my next one, uh, since we've already done Unforgiven, I'll shoot up to my number two. Um, and this one, it's just got an amazing cast. And um, it's got Dean Martin playing a drunk. It's got uh, Ricky Nelson playing like this young kid who's just being brought into like a helping take care of the town. And then it's was, got was John. Jer- was Jerry Lewis in it? No, okay, <laughs> but, uh, but it's got John Wayne, and uh, they they basically gotta protect the town and protect the the jail because there's this crook and there's a posse coming to get him, and that's Rio Bravo, and that's one of my all time favorites. I gotta watch that. It's it's good. Dean Martin is great in it, and it's got one of those character actors too. I can't remember which one, but you, you would know me. You know, oh, one of those old timey yeah. kind of guys. Yeah, but I, it's it's good stuff. 
Yeah, there's a couple in here. I, I, I need to revisit Silverado. I've never seen Lonesome Dove or The Shootist. I probably should check them out. I think the last one I watched was The Long Riders. I, I think that was the Jesse James film. That's down that to that, filmed, that was the Carradine brothers. Was near here. Yeah, the Carradine brothers. Our veterinarian got to ride or drive the stagecoach and handle the horses for the scene that was filmed near here. Very uh, cool. Nice. I want to say it's Parrot, Georgia. I'm not sure. They built some old timey looking buildings that still stand just for the movie, from what I understand. Nice. Yeah, where I'm from, a lot of Westerns came from, from New Mexico, too. Yeah, it was a much bigger deal to have something filmed in South Georgia like that back then. We, we didn't have much of a film industry back then. Every, you know, Now we have a lot of stuff filmed up near Atlanta and stuff. But uh, I was going to say, you can't watch a movie without seeing a peach on it these days. Yeah, it's, it's, real, <laughs> it's real common now, but this was <laughs> probably around 1980, I would guess, somewhere mm. in there. So it was... Everybody, and that, excuse us, <laughs> my cat just came up to the to the mic and sneezed. But, uh, <laughs> she says, hello, Joe. Bless you. Hello, Mike. <laughs> but they, they, they really made a, a big deal around here. And then my dad watched it, and there's a lot of cussing in it, if I remember. And my dad was, was upset about that. Uh-oh. Yeah, my mom wouldn't like that either. Of course, what's funny is my dad would cuss about them cussing. He'd be like, damn it, those sons of bitches shouldn't be talking like that. <laughs> like, uh, what? Uh, my funny. dad would always cuss when he was working on the car. I mean, the <laughs> it was like an episode of Deadwood, which is also a great uh, <laughs> well, TV I can't show. I blame him for that. That is a good one. <laughs> I am not handy in anything like that. It just makes me it just create some words. So, uh, well, Deadwood, Deadwood the, the big word was cocksucker. And, uh, I mean, they said it a lot between Swergen and. Oh, yeah, Swergen. Yeah. yeah. Deadwood, like, is a. It, it, I know it's not a mo- movie, but that's a masterpiece of a Western, man. I it's, think there is a Deadwood the movie, though. There, There is. It finished yeah. off with the movie. Yeah. Which was a a good a, a good ending to all of it, but man, it still had so much more. <laughs> I just wish it would have never ended like it, it. It ended prematurely, I think. Oh yeah, that that happens sometimes with those HBO shows. I think they got they get too expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like uh, Rome was really good, and I don't think it it really got to go as long as it probably should have. And I'm sure it was expensive to film. Yeah, I think it only got like two seasons, didn't it? Yeah, it was good, though. Kirk, you got another one? I do, and it's kind of a cheat, but uh, it's Westworld. I cheated, go ahead. It's the original Westworld, where, you know, it's not just a Western. It's also sci-fi. Hey, Yul Brenner is in two. (laughs) Yul Brenner was awesome in that, too. As a kid, Westworld was on... And I, I was very young. I had to be young, six or younger, because I can remember watching it in the living room of the house that I was first in, and just falling in love with it. I found the Magnificent Seven later and realized, you know, that they he basically had reprised his role as the Man in Black. Only this time he's an evil robot. Right. But uh, I just love that movie. We made my my oldest has gotten into 
what we call the classics, you know, movies we watched growing up and he thinks they're just old movies, but he's gotten into them. And that was one of them we played for him recently and he gave it a seal of approval. So that I was like, finally, something I like that he likes. <laughs> <laughs> You're bonding over Westerns. Finally. Yeah. Well, my uh, last, because I had duplicates with uh, Tombstone and, uh, is, is the outlaw Josie Wales another um, this this movie I think was one of the first westerns in the genre that I really started to appreciate westerns I remember seeing this with my dad and uh, this is about like a character that fought in the Civil War for the South and he's on the run uh, the North is chasing him and it's kind of like a Jonah Hex story. That's what I was going to say. It sounds like Jonah Hex. <laughs> it, 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 really, it really is like a Jonah Hex story. And as he makes his way, he becomes friends with uh, an Indian, Native American, that dresses like Abraham Lincoln. And uh, he's awesome. Uh, he, he's really good in that character. And he starts riding with him. And on the way, he picks up other friends. He picks up... Um, I think the woman that eventually married him, but I forget what her name is. Sandra Locke. Sandra Locke. Yeah, Sandra Locke's in it. And then there's a really older woman. And um, there's two other people I can't remember. But they end up fighting like in this old adobe church. It's, It's like the Alamo. It's like two women, three fighters, and uh, Clint Eastwood. And they're all holed up in that church. Uh, fighting everybody and Clint Eastwood's a bareback fighter so he has to fight on the horse and uh, against like almost an army of men and they end up winning it's it's incredible one of the best fight scenes I've seen and uh, I I I love that movie (laughs) that's that's one of those I've been meaning to watch for years and I just haven't gotten around to it so I'll have to add, add that again to to the to watch list yeah, somebody had said on Twitter recently that it was basically a Jonah Hex movie, and I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, so yeah, I've that, been watching for it. I've been really lucky finding a lot of the old westerns at the thrift store. I've been like, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, this this one is like, uh, if you read the origin, it, it's it's simil- so similar to uh, um, his origin story. He doesn't have a huge scar on his face but uh right. some of the you know south and on the run kind of stuff makes uh makes its way and and he doesn't like he doesn't kill people for money <laughs> that that that's the other thing he that hex... yeah <laughs> no he's kind of like he is in unforgiven he's like i killed a lot of people in the war like i I've done my share of killing and I'm done with, I'm trying to get out of it, you know? Right. But, but his, his, his past, he can't run from his past. So his past comes to haunt him. When you were, you were talking about that one, it made me think of one that, man, if, if I wasn't half brain dead, when I put my list together, I would have added, but um, I'll just throw it out there. It's not my number one one, but I, I, I think it would have made my top five. I don't know what I would have kicked off, but um, is, is either one of you ever seen Little Big Man? With, I have uh, not. Dustin Hoffman. 
that's that's a really it's kind of like uh dances with wolves with a better sense of humor uh if you ever run across it, it, it it's it's really good he's he's a white kid gets adopted by a tribe and you know he, he meets uh, all these famous people through it it's it's so a good one is, so that one's about scout hunter and the clint eastwood is about jonah hex there you go there you go okay but uh, my number one one has got um, the mom from Better Off Dead in it, and uh, I don't know if she's been anything else other than this movie. Uh, it, it, do you know what it is, Kirk? I'm trying to remember the mom in Better Off Dead now. I'm, I made your favorite thing, bacon. You like bacon. <laughs> <laughs> you remember her? No. It, it's, she plays I a little like, girl I, in it. And it's got John Wayne and another singer, once again, Glenn Campbell. True Grit? True Grit. <laughs> I've probably seen that more than any other Western in my entire life. As soon as you said Little Girl and uh, John Wayne, I knew what it was. Yeah. But uh, uh, John Wayne and I, when, like I have become, I originally, as I think you guys know from Georgia, but uh, uh, John, John was a an Iowan and I, I accidentally ended up becoming a huge fan of his somewhere along the line. And uh, true grid is probably one of my all time favorite ones. Yeah. True grid is on my list too. And, and you know, the funny thing is the remakes really good too, but I think I still like the original the best. I'm the same way. I see a lot of people talking about how the, the remake is, is superior and I love it. I think it's a great movie. Me too. But, but I really like the first one better with Glenn Campbell playing the, the Texas Ranger and yep. John Wayne. I mean, it's just hard to beat. There's something about, it's as good as Matt Damon is in the remake, there's something about Glenn playing the, the, the baby face that I think he just pulls it off better. He does. Yeah. Glenn comes across in that film as an innocent, naive guy. Right. Which is funny to be a Texas Ranger and be that right. All right, Kirk, you got one more? Well, you, you, you just stole my, my <laughs> next one. So you got to dig into the reserves. <laughs> I'll say uh, Sons of Katie Elder, probably. Okay. I know that's a, another John Wayne that I'd seen again recently. I want to say Dean Martin is in that one, too. Yeah. I get I When you started saying John Wayne and Dean Martin earlier, I was like, oh, he's picked my other movie. <laughs> Is Jerry Lewis in that one? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think Jerry's in this one either. Sorry, I'm, I'm a sure. big Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin I, fan. <laughs> I forget most of the the people that were in it. But John Wayne plays the eldest son of a a bunch whose mother dies and he comes home and you know all her kids are played by famous people like Dean Martin and a couple of others and then you know they're they're fighting I think the corrupt sheriff or something. It's it's just a lot of fun seeing all the. I think Dennis Hopper is the bad guy in that, or he's yep. the son of the bad guy. Yeah, Dennis Hopper's in that and in True Grit. Yep. He was it's in a lot of those old westerns. A lot of these people were in the same movies. So yeah, they were mixed up when you hadn't seen it recently. Yeah, Dean Martin was in that when I just double checked. Well, westerns seems to have had the same actors in a lot of movies yeah no doubt i mean well, it I was a genre that 
I could easily pick five favorite John Wayne movies because I'd throw McClintock in there too. The one where he kind of is a roughhouse with Catherine O'Hara. I mean, he did a, a ton of good stuff. Um, the last Western I probably watched was a, a John Wayne movie. <laughs> yeah, we see more John Wayne than anything else because his movies still come on semi-regularly. Yeah. A lot of my mother watches a lot of a channel called INSP. And they mm-hmm. often have John Wayne movies on the weekend. So I'll, I'll see her watching it, and I'll go in, back to my side of the house and flip it to what she had it on. Like, <laughs> oh, I'll watch some John Wayne, too. <laughs> I got, you know, I got... And yet you have all those... To watch on DVD, and I'm watching the same John Wayne that I've seen a hundred times when I was a kid. <laughs> and, and yet you have all of those on DVD. Nope. I have a chunk of them. Because I bought a bunch when my parents moved in with me so that my dad could have stuff to watch because we, we just about got him to train to the point where he could put a movie in and, and press play. So, <laughs> so you know, you, you can keep him entertained. It was like having kids, you know, you, you got to keep them entertained so you can go do something for a couple of hours. Right. Yeah. So I bought a bunch for him and then I've bought a bunch for me since he's been gone. I, I do the that, same that's, thing. That, that's why I like streaming so much because I, I I tend to watch things on TV more than I do to to move to go find the DVD and then put it in the player. Um, so like with streaming, it, it's kind of like a, a lazy man's way of clicking and watching. <laughs> oh, that's, well, that's I don't how I am ever too. going digital on comic books because I love the feel and the touch and the the smell of them. I love the old ads in them. I love finding stuff like date stamps and notes people have written in them. But I could see me streaming movies if it was available and cheap for me. But our yeah. internet sucks, and I can't afford another subscription service to anything right now. So I, I don't see it right now. But I, I could see me getting into that where uh, I have access to all these movies just at the push of a button. The only thing that would make me mad is when they take them away. I, I'm kind of like Mike with the digital uh, comics, though. Like, all it does when I read them digitally is make me want to buy more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, it, does, uh, it doesn't make me, like, be satiated. It makes me want to get a copy of To it. get a it's, physical copy. Like, yeah. I don't own this, and I want to own it, you know? Yeah, me too. With, with the movies, though, I've totally converted over because you could – you could buy anything for the same price and, and and it doesn't make logical sense because you can buy a DVD that has, you know, the Blu-ray, the DVD plus the digital code and, yep. and you kind of for the same cost just or, or similar cost, maybe a little bit less, get the digital, I mean, just digital plane. But the fact of the matter is I, I don't really use a lot of the, the DVD player. I, I, it's just a lazy it's it's a controller click lazy sit on the couch thing you know instead of going to find something i just uh and i know that the dvds sometimes are a lot better quality like if if, right. if i'm watching that than on me tv but i uh <laughs> I'll, I'll end up watching the tv version of it just because i'm lazy well, I was just thinking we've probably owned the Birds of Prey pretty much since it came out on Blu-ray, but I realized the other day, like, I still haven't watched that. Did I pull out the DVD? No. I got out my tablet and watched it on the treadmill. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, 
I, it's not like I pulled the DVD out. So yeah, that's I, what I, I, I am with thing. like HBO Max. Like I love it because I could. I mean, I I like Marathon the Warrior. I mean that right. that I highly recommend if you if you ever like kung fu. <laughs> You're, you'll right. love this except it takes place all in san francisco but it uh it is a really good martial arts uh film it's so good and then that guy's in snake eyes i, I just I, I i was telling barb like i got a crush on this guy as an actor i just right. love, I, i'm like i'm addicted to his like because he's not only a talented actor but i don't know if he does his own martial arts or what but he just moves so good, you know. Right. I I just love his fight scenes. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I don't want to keep rubbing it into Kirk because I don't want him to feel bad. But I I was so impressed with pretty much everybody in that movie because for the most part nobody in that's a big name at my all. My question my question to both of y'all saying saying you love this movie. What did you think of the first two? The first one I hated. The second one had it had its moments. I, I did enjoy, not like the first I, one. I've never hated any of the Joe movies, but um, I, I will say when I watched the first one, I didn't read a lot of Joe, so okay, it could have influenced the way I felt about it, but um, I don't think so because I I'm very I like I'm I'm, 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 I'm very right accepting in. of my movies and TV shows being different from the source material. Like I, I just don't care. Uh, like right now I'm watching sweet tooth and it, it is so different from the sure. comic book and I'm loving it. So I, I actually like when they deviate. I, I, I don't Me I mean, mean to say that, but it makes it so I don't see something I've already read. Like it's not, it's not a, it, there's surprises for me, and I like that. Well, I said that to somebody at work the other day. I was like, I already have a good version of this story. Why do I need the exact same thing in an inferior format? Yeah. Um, the comic is always going to be better visually than a movie can pull off. So why do you want the exact same Walking Dead? I don't. Yeah. That that's what I like about Walking Dead too. Is you you know right. you lot you. You don't. You didn't know which characters were gonna survive or live, and you, if you read the comic book, it wasn't the same. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, me too. Because, like I say, I think in general a book is always gonna be superior, especially a graphic book. Uh, and I don't want to see the exact same story because I got a version of that story I already like. So. But yeah, it, it, but Kirk, you should you should seek it out. It's really good. It's very good action. I I was telling Jack, I think it it hangs with the best of the DC or Marvel movies for the most part. I like I I thought it was that good. And I, like I said, the only Hasbro movie I've seen I, that I like better was Bumblebee. And I put Bumblebee like above a lot of stuff. So that's just one of my all time favorites. Well, I'm very interested in it because I've been a Joe fan pretty much my entire life because I had right. 12 inch GI Joe dolls from my earliest memories. And then, you know, when I was around nine or 10, here comes the little figures and I just carried on from there. And so I, Joe has been with me my entire life. But those first two movies were, I felt like, you know, like a dude who, who just found out his girlfriend cheated on him. I was like, what, what just happened? Why did you, why did you do this to me? 
I liked the rock and Bruce Willis in the second one. I, I, I kind of enjoyed that one. But well, yeah, second, I thought the second one was better than the first one. Yeah, but that's but not still saying not. a whole lot to me. Sure. Um, yeah, I didn't like those weird suits because I'm like, I don't know what it felt. Power Rangers. It didn't feel like G.I. Joe. And maybe, yeah, Mike, I, I was a little too attached to the mythology to let go. Um, it just felt a little too different for me, that first one. Um but yeah, well, this, I don't this know. We'll get all our female listeners in an uproar, but I'm not a Channing Tatum fan. Oh, I, me neither. I just don't. It just doesn't come across to me as a good actor. I think he's just a a pretty boy they put on screen, and to me, it, it, I just haven't seen anything with him where I go, "Wow, I really enjoyed Channing Tatum in that role." Yeah, I was glad when his Gambit movie fell through. I'm like, yeah, I didn't really want to watch it it's because he's one of him. those actors that that is he acts as himself like it he he doesn't have a lot of depth (laughs) okay um kind of kind of like ryan reynolds but ryan reynolds always plays deadpool in every movie like he he's always that sarcastic witty guy even the comedies that he's in but but i like ryan reynolds that's the difference Mm -hmm. between ryan reynolds and channing tatum (laughs) yeah well that's standing if you're listening i'm sorry it's nothing personal I think Christopher Walken always plays the same character. I just really like the character that Christopher Walken plays. Yeah. 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 Uh, Max Shrek in Batman. Uh... <laughs> right. Returns. I mean, that's, just, that's almost the same character as he played in The Prophecy when he's playing an angel. Is the same yeah. character he played in Pulp Fiction. It's just he does it's it really well. It's the same character he does in uh, Saturday Night Live. <laughs> right. <laughs> Champagne. <laughs> More cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that was fun. A fun little thing. I, I kind of expected like more John Wayne things, and I did get a lot of John Wayne. I don't know why I expected that, but uh, there seems like he made a lot of stuff. Well, I could make a list of you know top five John Wayne films. Part of my problem is I haven't seen a lot of them recently, and Same. I kind of blend them all together. Yep. Wait, was that True Grid or was that The Shooters? Yeah, I think you know, I think or... I'm very limited in John Wayne. I think I could li- I could name them all on one hand. I think I think I've seen True Grit, Rio Bravo, The Alamo, The Green Beret. That's a good one. And um, I can't think of anything else. So <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, I'm very very uh, limited in what I've seen. I've seen a lot oh. more Clint Eastwood westerns than uh and there's still a couple of clint eastwoods i still need to watch but uh for me like john wayne my dad that was my dad's western hero and me growing up it was clint eastwood <laughs> so <laughs> well i Let love just... clint and he's got some all-time classics but to me i think of clint when i think of clint i think more of like those movies he made where he's riding with the orangutan and oh, any which way but loose. Any which way but loose, and I think of Heartbreak Ridge, whereas the old Marine gunnery sergeant and stuff. And I don't know why that is. Or play Misty classic, for like, me. You know the spaghetti <laughs> westerns. But uh, play Misty for me. He's a radio uh, show uh, host that gets John Wayne to me. He is he is western movies. You know he was a living embodiment of western movies. Even though he made like I love his. I don't know if y'all saw it. Jet Pilot. With uh, I want to say uh, Janet Lee, 
But uh, it's where he plays like an Air Force pilot who falls in love with a Russian pilot and gets her to defect to America. And it's a really, I really enjoy it. But uh, I think it's a Howard Hughes production. But, so look that one up if you get a chance. So it's not a Western, but it's John Wayne. And I love it, but I still think of John Wayne back in the saddle. George is over there just knocking over everything. So if you hear background noise, just say, thanks, George. <laughs> Uh, before we get off the movie topic totally, I'll just say if you haven't seen a lot of John Wayne, um, my my two favorites that we haven't talked about so far, uh, and I know you love war movies, and we can talk about this in November if we talk about movies. And uh, first one I'll say is Longest Day. It's got one of the best casts in the world. It's got like every actor who's an actor like in the 50s or 60s in it. And then um, Hatari, which is basically like him African game hunting with red buttons. That is fabulous. It's just a big adventure movie on the uh african savannah that one's really really fun yeah that's one thing that um i i have like a list of people i follow on twitter just uh a handful i think that's like 30 or 40 people and uh i also follow amc and uh, turner movie classics <laughs> and right. it's fun it's funny because like uh all, at night i'm like i know barb's still up and i'm getting ready to go to bed and I scroll my list before bed and I'm, I'll, I'll see like some oldie movies and I'm saying, Parb, can you set the DVR for that? <laughs> just shot at her. Because uh, last night a, a Stranger Calls was was uh, was playing and I was like, please record that for me because when I was a kid, that movie scared the crap, crap out of me. We traced the call and it's coming from inside the house and it's like, ah! <laughs> Have you been using the T uh, uh, Turner Classics on your HBO? Because we hadn't really taken advantage of it yet. Uh, not really, but uh, I because I follow on I'm on Twitter. I kind of like mm-hmm. know like they they like broadcast like two hours before or sometimes four gotcha. hours before what their schedule is, and I mm-hmm. kind of just uh, there there was a period of time where I was watching like black and white movies and old stuff that I've never seen. And I would love to do that. That's like one of the things I want to do in retirement is just experience a lot of old films. Yeah. But what I'm finding now is that my TV watching is at night. Uh, one, mm-hmm. and I watch some streaming service with Barb, like we're watching sweet tooth now. And then in the morning when I exercise and, mm-hmm. um, it's all pretty that's, much. That's new exactly stuff. what I do too. Yeah. yeah. So it's like right now I'm watching like I'm marathoning a Star Wars Clone Wars and Bad Batch in the morning. So uh, I'm I'm almost caught up on that, and then I don't know what I'm gonna go to next. But uh, I, I like to to diversify. So like if I'm watching an animated sci-fi, then something next might be like a Western, <laughs> you know, like I, right. I, I like to change it up and that makes me appreciate things instead of like just stack the same thing on top of each other. That's why my comics are like squirrels. Like I, I enjoy my comic reading because I don't stay on anything for a long period of time. <laughs> I switch. Yeah. Yeah. Me Although GI Joe has really got me hooked now. I'm uh <laughs> Well I'll go off on a tangent just like your G.I. Joe, but yeah, I'll jump all around. Yeah. Sometimes, and sometimes and sometimes like, I'm reading a comic book and an ad has is there and that sends me off on a tangent. Like, oh, I wanna read that now. 
Oh yeah, no doubt. Especially like you see like a a house ad for something you've never read before. Yeah, that happens to me too. That happened to me. I was reading something and it said the greatest issue of Justice League ever, and I was like, well, holy crap, I'm gonna have to track that one down now. Because I mean, it was the greatest <laughs> issue of Justice League ever. Yeah, I gotta and read, read it. it. I gotta read it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot of oh. times the house ads lead to me adding to cart on my comic shop and piggybacking oh, yeah. on the next order. Yeah, it was a lot funner pre-COVID before the world got nuts and uh, everything's so expensive now. Um, yeah, stuff really it, has gone up. It's re- it's gotten really ridiculous across the board. Um, something that you could get for really cheap is now 50 bucks. It's like, what what is happening? <laughs> well, like, yeah. well, Kirk and I were talking about that issue of Blade, and I, I, it's got to be because it's the first time that blade looked like that, you know, we're basically how we envision him because of Wesley Snipes, because that was like a super mass produced issue. And it wasn't even, I mean, that was in quarter bins like two years ago. Yeah. But wasn't it yellow too? Wasn't mm-hmm. when he showed us the ad, wasn't it yellow? That means it's a consignment. consignment maybe. Mm, consignment, okay. consignment more is like eBay, which means oh, gotcha. I can charge what I want. And usually those guys know, like that they can get what they want because there's no versions on eBay. So there you go. Okay. They, a- they ask for what they want. Just like when I try to get icon, like the penultimate version of icon, it was like on Amazon for like $75 or something like that. And I was like, God, that's more than yeah, I want them, to spend. You know? Them last issues of milestone are hard to find. Yeah. I'm glad they're collecting those. Well, even like, if the actual price should be lower, it's still surprising to me that like my comic shop doesn't have any copies of their own right, in right. stock because it's a '90s book. It's a number one, had the foil enhanced cover. So you and know, that Midnight Sun was way overproduced. Right. So yeah. how is this, you know, the only copy available? Yeah. Which yeah. one was that one called? The uh, Blade, the Vampire, uh, Vampire Blade. Hunter, or I think was the series. It was like '94, maybe. The Vampire Hunter? I think so. I think it was the somewhere, 94 Somewhere series. in the mid-90s, 94 yeah. to 96, somewhere in yeah. there, I think. Oh, all the Midnight Sun stuff for nuts. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I think it's, I tell you, I think that stuff's going to cool off when the film comes out, because that's how that stuff usually works. There gets a movie announcement. It goes crazy. Dude, do you remember Crash Ryan got optioned, and then Crash Ryan all of a sudden was like hot book for like a month, you know? I'm like, who remembers Crash Ryan? The three of us, probably. You know, yeah. and that's it. I got to go to the Infinity Con in Tallahassee. And, you know, of course, I, even if I'm not going to buy them, I look at the wall books of every dealer. And I think this was the show I've been to where I had the most of the wall books because so many of them were 80s and 90s books that the last time I had looked at prices were not that valuable. And right. like, yet, yet here's Morbius number one from that uh, Marvel launch in the 90s up on some people's walls i'm like what the you know i'm used to seeing amazing spider-man 101 on the wall i'm not used to seeing 90s marvel number one with the poly bag (laughs) well the other day was the first time because i was looking at young blood stuff young blood too because the profit is like a ten dollar book all of a sudden and that thing's never been more than a couple of bucks yeah that's because profits profits 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. I have plenty of those because I was just into that buzz at the time, but uh Yeah, this blade is uh man, they don't have any of them in stock. It's crazy. No. I'm telling you that movie's coming out and there some some dude just bought everything, I'm sure. Cuz wow, that, know, that that number 10 looks like has a couple of issues. Yeah, this is because I don't own this one. I, I I own most of the Midnight Suns, like Morbius and uh, Ghost Rider. I completed recently, and then they had Midnight Suns Unlimited and Dark Hold, and I think Blade is the only one I don't own. <laughs> I didn't realize it was Doug Wheatley, and, that, and that's got me interested in it now. I'm like, dang it, now I want to read it. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> if it's on the app. I wonder. That's a good question. I have a lot. There was that Blade, the Bart Sears one, too. And I just Mm -hmm. realized I was missing 0.5 because it was one of those uh, uh, wizard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Those those, those, uh, wizards, it was like five, six pages of story and the rest was like bonus stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I had the max one, I think. Max one half. Yeah, I had a couple of those. I think that was my first one half that that I ever got. And then I've recently picked up a couple of them. But uh, there's not – they're eight pages usually. Okay. You know, eight to ten. And then some ads. But some of them are pretty good. Yeah, Yeah. I, I remember liking the Max one. Like I say, I think that was the only one I ever even had. It had a nice fancy mylar bag that it came in. Yeah, I had th- all of them at one point. I don't think I I kept up with it, but I had all of them at one point except for like the Gen 13 number half, which of course had become super hot, and I'd sent off for it and never got it. I was gonna say that was one I always wanted was the Gen 13 one. I'm a, I, 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 there was a. I went to a diamond retailer summit type of thing in Atlanta, Georgia, back back when they had distribution centers all over the south and i went with a friend of mine who was running uh, a comic shop and i complained to the wizard rep that i never got my gen 13 half and he said well i don't you know it's gone we don't have any but i'll try to make it up to you and he sent me a package with like five or six of the other issues nice which, which i already had but i was still I was like, <laughs> well that was really good customer service to you right. know i'm missing one and he sent me a bunch of others so Wizard, for all their faults, earned my loyalty with the with the attempt to try to make up for it. I was like, that that dude did me right. I was reading Wizard almost to the end when it turned into basically just a movie magazine there towards the last few last year or so. I quit getting it, but I, I got it for a long time. I think I had it a subscription that went all the way to the end, but I didn't realize it was ending. It was just. Like a couple of months, I had fallen behind in reading, like I do on almost everything. Right. And I was like, I haven't got a wizard in a while. And then I realized, oh, well, they don't make wizard anymore. Yeah, that happened to me. And I, I know you guys aren't into it, but um, they did an Anime Insider magazine. And that's what happened to me with their Anime uh, Insider magazine is I had a subscription. And all of one day it just quit coming. I was like, what the heck happened? And it, yeah, it had been canceled. They didn't replay, pay you back either, probably. And they probably didn't replace nope. it with Wizard. Because <laughs> nope. uh, they, they had that in Toy Fair. I, I, right. was, I, I got Toy Fair, and I'm aware of the one you're talking about just from the ads. Right. But, um, 
it was Toy Fair and uh, Wizard that I always liked, and uh, it was the only thing I've ever thrown out. I I used those magazines as disposable like previews, and that was a mistake. So I, I've been I've been trying to uh, <clears throat> I've been trying to pick them up whenever I see them. Yeah, I, I have a handful of my anime wins and maybe six of my wizards, but yeah, for the most part, I got rid of all that, and I it, it, and I'm bummed I did because I would like to see some of those early ones. Yeah, it's weird because of the fanzines I got rid of. Like mm-hmm. I almost had a complete run of comic scene. Like that was my magazine. Like comic scene was before wizard, and I always wanted to know what was coming out, even though none of it, none of the right. movies panned out. I would see what all the options were and I'd get all excited, you know, like as like, wow, all these are coming out. <laughs> yeah, I had that and I had a bunch of old Amazing Heroes and like the magazine size ones yeah, before they yeah. shrunk down to comics. I got rid of them. I didn't keep them. I read them and toss them. That's what I did. I did. That my comics buyers got. And what's worse is I had saved them for years and I had a st- I had bunk beds in my in my bedroom. Were those the, the new went from the, the tabloid floor ones? To the top bunk. And I was like, you know, I, I need more space. I'm never going to read these again. Uh, pulled some out to save. I probably saved 20 of them out of this massive stack. and took a couple hundred down to the newspaper recycling bins and dropped them off for recycling. And I have, you know, a couple years later, I was like, that was really dumb. And I've regretted it ever since I realized what a massive mistake it was. Were those the tabloid size ones? Yeah, well, it was a fold-out newspaper. Yeah, it yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was I, like I the had, size of like the New York Times. Yep, I would read those and toss them. Yep. I remember getting the uh, NECCs uh, from New England Comics. Uh, it was kind of like a previews, and I got rid of all those, and they had articles in them, and the the Mile High catalogs. I wish I had some of those now. Yeah, I got but, rid yeah, of my Mile High catalogs. Gone. The New England Comics. Thankfully, I saved. Just because Bob Polio did that little ape sketches in there. Right, right. And I, and I saved those. And thank God I did because that's where the first appearance of the tick is. Right. And that thing is super valuable, or at least it was. It may have come down now. But at least. And you know, I don't think they do that stuff anymore either. I think they're just, you know, you shop in store only now. I don't think they really do mail distribution like they used to. Well, I, but I, I could used be to wrong. Get catalogs from them, and I, I hadn't gotten anything in a while, and and they haven't responded. I've tagged them in, on Twitter many times, like how they they kept me up to date with comics in the eighties, yeah. thanks to I mean, the, their mail order. Dude, they were the reason I was able to get Death of Superman because we didn't have a local comic shop uh, at that point. We got what, one shortly thereafter. What was the What was the vendor? New, New England, England Comics. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, they had like the the NECC, and it was like new new comics uh, subscription service. And because of them, I, I have all that stuff because I remember making the order, and um, they're like, "You don't have enough. You got to add a couple more books." And so I I remember getting uh, the JLA of uh, issues as well, which, as you know, are really important in the death of a Superman. So. Thank you, New England Comics. You uh, got me a full run of Death of Superman because I probably would have skipped those at that point. So, yeah, they because I was still buying off the racker in the mall at that point. You know, what was that like? Ninety two, ninety three. Well, so I started in Ninja Turtles was hot. I ordered like Ninja Turtles number six from them. That was the first new issue I got. Mm. So that would have been, you know, 
80, 85, 86, I would guess, somewhere in there. Right. And I ordered from them, and gosh, well into the 90s, maybe even the 2000s. I was a, I was a subscriber to their pre-order service, the, the Fast Service, F-F-A-S-D. Right. Fast, fun, and simple, too. Yep. <laughs> and they bagged and boarded for free, which back in those days was a big deal because nobody did deal. that. And they would point it out. It was like an 11 cent value based on their right. retail prices or something. Yep. Okay. And nobody did that. So, yeah, that was that was very cool. And I remember them being a lot faster than Mile High, too. I don't know if oh, you ever. Mile ordered. High was incredibly slow. Yeah. I, I never. Like uh, I never mail mail ordered until I was a grown ass man. Um, <laughs> Mike was like, "I'm married. I've had sex. Now yeah, I have to try now, mail order. Now I can do some mail order. That's right. But I I did have a comic shop to go to. So right. And I I would get. I mean, at first it started off like drugstore spinner rack and Alsup spinner rack and Seven Eleven, and then it moved to the comic shop and. There was always a comic shop from that point on. I moved a couple times, like from shop to shop because of service, but uh, I always got them from the shop. The only time I got to go to the comic book store growing up was if I was going to the orthodontist and we were lucky enough for the guy to actually be in the store running it because we had to drive to Macon. And if he did, if he wasn't at work that morning, or if he was at home watching Saturday morning cartoons, you know, I was just out of luck. So it, it was very hit or miss. I, I have I maybe, forgotten that dude wasn't always there. Yeah, Roland, he was never there. I mean, you go there on a Saturday morning, he wouldn't show up till like one because we literally were, you'd ask him, "Where were you watching cartoons?" We were like <laughs> ninety minutes, two hours away. Yeah, and my parents would go to that mall to take my sister shopping. Because they had stores that our mall didn't have. And right. as a treat, I would get to go to the comic store. And I yep. had forgotten that Joker was... There were a couple of times where we went by there and there'd be like a note on the door. Like, dadgum you! Yep, Comics Castle. I had to follow my sister around the mall for a couple of hours. And you get nothing. on clothes and shoes. And I got nothing out of this! All I got <laughs> was an Archie Digest from Walden Books. <laughs> They did have some great, like, uh, paperbacks, though. Like, um, oh, they definitely did. Those collected stuff. I used to get Spider-Man and Conan, and they were weird, too, because there were, like, two panels per page. Right, like, like, like the little mass market. It, it, yeah. yeah, it would take forever. Like, one page in a regular comic was, like, eight pages of one of those little pocketbooks. <laughs> <laughs> my son to this day that was the first comic he owned was um we were at a bookstore and he got the untold tales of batman and it was a three issue series but it's like a 400 page mass market paperback yeah yeah because yeah it's like two two panels to a page yeah those little tiny things <laughs> i mean they they did have big ones like son of origins and bring back right. the bad guys but most of them were most of the ones that dc and marvel were doing were those pocket ones Yep. Which were reprints of the old, like if you had Doctor Strange, it was reprinting some of his Strange uh, tales and stuff like that. I remember having the Return of the Jedi adaptation in one of those, because uh, they were still doing it into the 80s, pretty yeah. deep. Yeah. I still got to find my box of those, because I have a lot of my, uh, it wasn't Walden, it was B. Dalton for yep. where I would get go. 
Yeah, we didn't have a Biba Dalton in Macon until I was much older. It was always just Walden Books for many, many, many years. That and we had a, what was the one, the other one, Kirk, uh, Book World, I think was the name of it. That was like in Warner Robins. Yeah, we didn't get Book World until later for us. Walden Books was the go-to. Yeah. But we had a, uh, a local magazine dealer called Lowell's, and they were wonderful. They had, they carried pretty much everything available to newsstand vendors. They just had racks and racks and racks of comics and magazines and books. And they even had early video rentals in the back. I mean, that was the first place I ever saw that rented movies. And that place was a wonderland. And that was our special trip. You know, like I'd go to get my braces tightened and my mom would take me by Lowell's and let me get a couple comics. Yep. And that place was amazing. And in the 90s, they tried to expand and they actually put one relatively close to my house and that was just like like just amazing to me it just made me so happy of course it didn't last very long but i was just like there's a lowell's like eight minutes from my house and i can drive to it i was like 16 and could drive to lowell's and i was like i'm gonna go there like every day yeah once i could once i could drive man it was a whole another uh world because if i'd go go to the comic show every saturday yeah i would drive down to tallahassee because they always had not just a comic store but multiple comic stores at one point i think there's a local store there i I don't know if it's still there because they were having some troubles with the rona but it was called cosmic cat comics and at one point they had like three or four locations plus some competitors so i could spend the day in Tallahassee, just going to different comic stores. It was magical. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, do you want to jump into our Western theme, uh, comics? Yeah, I don't know if we're going to need to cover two books or not. Yeah. (laughs) Bad luck, partners. (laughs) Well, what I can do with mine... And pour one out for poor Rob Krieger. Rhymes with Krieger. (laughs) I miss you, buddy. When we do mine, what I'll do... um, I'll just do a quick summation because I did a Jonah Hex and then I did a a follow-up Hex. So what I'll do, since I don't have like good notes on it anyway, I'll just basically say kind of like, here's where they are now. And I can go ahead and go if you want me to. Sure. Go ahead. Go, Joe. Go, Joe. (laughs) So both of the issues we're going to cover, which I don't have issue 87, but... Boy, I wish I did. It had a hell of a cover. Um, so if you ever want to look up a nice-looking cover, look up Jonah Hex 198, uh, number uh, 87. We're going to be doing 86. the lady laying in the bed. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice one. Yeah. So like uh, 15-year-old me was very impressed with that. <laughs> so we'll do 86 in depth, and I'll, I'll tell you kind of where they're at in uh, number 88. But uh, the one we're starting off with, 86, is called The Slaughterhouse. This is during the Fleischer de Zuniga era, and this uh, particular issue is from August of 1984. So Jonah had uh, moved to uh, New Orleans at this point, and he's kind of mingling with high society. He's dating a woman named Adrian Sterling, if you can call it dating. They're basically shacking up, or like I said to Rob the other day, they're living in sin is what my mom would have called it. But uh, they're, they're going to this fancy restaurant in New Orleans, and while they're getting seated – there's some people complaining about the fact that this high society woman is kind of running around with a no good gunslinger like Jonah. And uh, 
the gossip makes its way to Mr. Hex, and he doesn't take too kindly to it. So he gets up, he goes over to him, he takes the bowl of jambalaya, he dumps it on the one dude's head, and he grabs another guy and he throws him through a table that's like full of pies. There, now work that a last time a finger-licking delight. And uh, the staff comes and says, you know, you can't be doing this, Mr. Hex. And, of course, he shoves a, a cart of food through them. And obviously the restaurant uh, date didn't go too well. So the reason um, we're in this uh, story is because of this character from the previous issue. I don't know if you remember this one, but he's, he's named the Grey Ghost. And basically, just imagine like a Confederate soldier, but you take the old classic uh, Western Ghost Rider mask and put it on him. So just imagine that kind of like, you know, just almost completely covered except for the eye holes cut out. And uh, he's, he's in a soldier's uniform other than that. So the Grey Ghost has been injured in the previous issue, and he makes it to his son's cabin and he basically has a, a moment with his son, and they swear under a Confederate flag that uh, the Grey Ghost must never die. So I'm I'm guessing that must be some kind of foreshadowing coming along, like this will be like a generational thing. If Pop dies, the son's going to take over the, the Grey Ghost uh, moniker. Uh, but we flash forward, it's like a week later, and Mr. Sterling is talking to his daughter, Adrian, the one who's dating Jonah, and he's like, that man's married to a one other woman and the two of you are living in sin and you shouldn't be doing this. And what are people going to think? And she's, Oh, I love Jonah. And uh, she doesn't care. And she storms out because, you know, kids are not going to listen to pops, but uh, Jonah, <laughs> Jonah's on his way to go pick her up uh, from the Sterling household. And he's on a rope bridge and he looks up and the gray ghost is on a hill and the shots ring out from the gray ghost is firing down at him. And then the rope snaps and then his horse goes in the drink. Well, Jonah's hanging on to the bridge for dear life. And then, of course, he gets shot and then he follows after him. And the gray ghost knows that Jonah's pretty savvy. And so he's like, well, even if he didn't drown, he's not going to come up where I can see him. So I'm going to go off. So he leaves. And then we go to another scene. And there's three women and a man, and they're plotting a bank robbery. And one of them looks pretty familiar. And it's basically it's because one of them is a, a former uh, romantic interest of uh, Jonah's named Emmy. And uh, the main guy, Brett, tells uh, the women they need to tuck in their hair because they're about to do this bank heist. And they want uh, to be thought of as all males. So they don't want anybody to figure out that there's any females involved. So Emmy is a blonde uh, that, I, like I said, had, had shown up previously in the series. And he tells her that she better good, do a good job or he's going to shove her in the closet. And then he kind of forces himself on her. So we go back to Jonah again. And uh, Adrian has been captured by the Grey Ghost. And Jonah's come home and he finds a, a mirror and it's got bloody letters written on it that uh, spell out the slaughterhouse. So then we go back to the gang again. So Brett has taken over a bank and he says, fill up this wheat sack and don't give me none of that loose change. And while they're filling it up, uh, the person who Emmy's supposed to be covering with a rifle grabs her rifle and all the jig is up because she shouts out, help, Brett, help. And, you know, they're like, that's no man. And uh, the guy starts fighting her and tries to wrestle away the rifle. So Brett shoots him. They get their money. 
they uh, flee the scene. So not only have they committed robbery at this point, but they've also committed murder. Well, back in Louisiana, Jonah, under the cover of night, he's sneaking into the slaughterhouse. And he's up kind of on this catwalk, and the gray ghost gets the drop on him, and he shoots him. Well, Jonah tackles him, and they go over this railing. And uh, gray ghost gets one of those meat hooks, kind of like you see in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he's going to, you know, gouge Jonah with it, but Jonah shoots him. So uh, gray ghost sneaks off. And he falls over, and he kind of, in the last chance, throws a crate at it at Hex, and Hex shoots again, and this time the ghost isn't moving anymore. And then uh, Jonah sees Adrian, and he frees her, and he goes to check on the gray ghost. He fell over there on his face. Where in the Sam Hill is he? But there's no gray ghost. There's just two bloodstains. And... It's weird. This issue just kind of ends there. There's no real follow-up. There's just the letters page and a little picture of uh, Jonah that says, blam, blam, next issue on sale, June 26th. And like I said, boy, what a cover number 87 has. But uh, that was the the issue, and it kind of left us hanging. We don't know what's going on with the Grey Ghost, and we don't know what's going on with Emmy. But I can at least... If not tell you what happens with the Grey Ghost, since I don't have number 87, uh, I can tell you what happens with Emmy in uh, number 88. So let's flash forward to, to issue 88. Once again, Fleischer in Dazuniga, and Jonah Hex is at a bail bonds office, and he sees a, a wanted picture of Emmy, and he's like, well, that's my Emmy. So he's going to go try to figure out what happens to her. And all of a sudden, it's like gangs of, you know, the wild, wild west. There's one gang that he's tracking down. Then there's another gang that decides it'd be funny to dress up like this Emmy. So you've got this guy with a, a wig on, and he's trying to be a woman, and they're pretending to be that gang. And then there's still the Emmy gang that's uh, off performing heist. Anyhow, while all this is going on, Adrian, the woman from uh, New Orleans, has followed Jonah out west on a train. And the gang with the guy wearing the Emmy wig tackles the train. She gets shot. She loses her memory. She thinks she's some hooker slash dancer. And the next thing you know, she went from being high society New Orleans woman to she's working uh, at a place for John's in a bar. And, uh, you know, she has really fallen on hard times, old Adrian Sterling. Well, Hex is going to go try to figure out what's going on with Emmy. And he busts in on where they're uh, performing a robbery and he gets shot point blank. And that's where that issue ends. So there you go. That's a quick summation of what happens in Jonah Hex 88. And those are my two issues for this month. Nice. Very close to the end at that point yeah i think four to go maybe i think yeah, 92 92 i think, I think is the one. death of hex yeah, yeah. but you know before you get there you have, yeah, and then you, you go have, to hex sci-fi <laughs> right <laughs> you have yeah. that wonderful cover uh of the woman kissing hex uh and um he was performing as a clown in a in a rodeo and that's right before the end too that's a really fun issue I don't remember if that's like 91 or, or 90, but that's one we're tracking down. So that's, that's, really... that, that is a beautiful cover. I love That's oh, yeah. one of my favorite. Neil Adams did a mock of that fairly yep. recently when he was doing the covers for cover bees. As, as Kirk would say, it's bootyful. 
Yeah, that's booty pool. <laughs> I like he, beautiful things. As <laughs> ugly and deformed as Hex is, he does have his women, you know. He he did all right. Yeah, yeah. He, he does he, all right. He never had a problem. You know what else Snake Eyes always did pretty good, too, though, and he's pretty, unlike the movie, pretty messed up in the facial area. Yeah. So, um, do you want to go, Kirk, Kirk, or do you want me to go? I can go. Okay. And I want to make sure we, we thank Joe for setting a date for West, Western Comics Month. There was a lot of chatter about, you know, when should we do it? And Joe's the one who actually knew when, what is it, National Cowboy Day is? Or yeah, something? yeah, it's National Cowboy Day in July, <laughs> yep. So, Joe, Joe is like the, the, the daddy of Western Comics Month setting the, setting the date for us, so... Thank you, Joe. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, I chose this one because I actually got my son interested in Western. He's he's, he's playing Red Dead Redemption, I think. Yep. And he asked me if there were any comics based on that, and I said, not that I'm aware of. And he said, well, is there anything like that? And it's hard for me to say for sure because I've never played the game, but I just decided selfishly well obviously jonah hex is like that isn't so, red dead Re- redemption zombie western <laughs> i have no idea <laughs> I, I i think there's zombies in there well uh we'll, we'll just say it's just like jonah hex. so you should have <laughs> seen, well the vertigo series you could do that yeah some of those worms or like the big worms well, yeah worms and such I mean, he can handle some weird stuff in this video game, but reading stuff seems to, you know, it's like he knows the video game stuff isn't real, but anything, any other media messes with him a little bit. Is this uh, your eldest or your youngest? This is my youngest. Okay. I think my eldest is a lost cause. So at my funeral, y'all tell him that he broke his daddy's heart and wouldn't read comics. (laughs) I thought he broke his heart when he was vacuuming. Oh, that's true, too. Well, or that, when he didn't that, refill that the toilet the paper roll. That, that was all of them, including my wife. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Quit so blowing I your chose, nose with that toilet tissue. I chose for this this episode of our Western Comics Month of Naked Joe's Comic Show, Jonah Hex number 40, cover dated September 1980. And... It's got the big banner across the top saying, starting now, eight more power-packed pages of Western action. Michael Fleischer is the writer and Dan Spiegel is the artist. So as soon as you read those credits, you know, you know it's going to look pretty. You know it's going to look pretty. And Fleischer, to me, is the Jonah Hex writer. Totally. So, uh, so, up until Palmiotti and Gray, uh, 100%. And it's got a wonderful cover by Luis Dominguez. And my only complaint about the entire issue is there's a little button on one of the Outlaws jackets on the cover of the Jonah Hex that has always looked a little bit like a sheriff's badge to me. And from the time I saw this, when it came out, when I was, I guess, seven years old, I was like, why is the sheriff shooting Jonah Hex? What is going on? So to read on, we open up on the story, The Rainmaker. We open with a full page splash of Jonah riding his horse. And Dan Spiegel does... An excellent job of showing shadows under the horse, showing you that the sun is beating down on Jonah, the, the, the ground is dry and cracked, and he's saying he's complaining about the heat and how this drought has got to end, or everybody 
there's a farming around here is just going to have to start selling sand. And suddenly a man appears driving a wagon with Native Americans chasing after him. Hex gives the pursuers a dose of 30-alt-6 persuasion, saves the man, and runs the, the Native Americans off. According to the man's wagon, he is a rainmaker, and he claims the natives did not understand that his services are not guaranteed. They had held him hostage, waiting for rain, and he had had to kill some of them to make his escape. He gets Hex to escort him to the next town, where they are waiting for him and his services. The crowd awaits him as they ride up, and the whole town is out waiting to see if this man can end the drought. Rainmaker says he's going to skip the formalities and get right to work, and Hex notices some suspicious-looking men. One of them, he thinks, is, actually has a bounty on him, and they ride off into town, and Hex follows. He meets up with them at the Wells Fargo branch in town, catches the group in the process, and he guns down one of the gang members. Another one comes in from the back and startles Hex and gets the drop on him, gunning Hex down. Hex appears to be dead, and the gang rides off with the loot to their hideout, where they meet up with, guess who? The mastermind, the ringleader, it's the Rainmaker. Meanwhile, we find that Hex is actually still alive, but badly injured. The town doc is patching him up and telling him he's got to rest. There's no point in chasing after those guys, because he's just barely holding himself together. Hex ignores the doctor, gathers his gear, and rides off after the robbers. He arrives right after the Rainmaker murders his compatriots in their sleep. Rainmaker manages to overpower the weakened Hex and escapes into the night. During the night, it has begun to rain, and it's not just any rain, but it's a heavy downpour. The streets are flooding, the river's rising, and he gets to the river where the ferryman says with the storm raising the river levels the way it has, he can only carry one horse on the ferry and maybe some of his gear. So the rainmaker ditches the wagon and grabs the stolen money bags out of the back. The ferryman realizes what they are and says something to him, which was a bad idea because the rainmaker guns him down and decides he'll ferry himself across. Rainmaker gets on the ferry with his one horse and all his loot, but loses control in the powerful storm. He loses the money, which sinks to the bottom. The horse appears to be drowning and the rainmaker doesn't appear to be far behind. Manages to make it to the shore where he's thankful to be alive. He starts going out, thinking how lucky he is. He's lost all this money, but at least he's still got his life. And he looks up on the shore, and the Indians that he escaped from earlier were waiting for him and looking down on him. We end up with Jonah going after him in the rain and thinking to himself how there's no way he's going to catch him, that this storm has washed away all the tracks. He's never going to find this guy. He's probably sitting somewhere, spending his money and drinking his whiskey. We close with the body tied to a tree that the reader sees with multiple arrows sticking out of him. Our bonus eight pages of Western action are Iowa, Iowa's Joe's favorite character in all of comic books. It's Scout Hunter. Oh, it's man, I thought Hunter they had Superman in this issue. <laughs> it's a Scout Hunter tale written by Jerry Conway with art from Dick Ayers and Romeo Tangal. At least it does. Note <laughs> is bathing in the river, washing away civilization's filth after spending too much time <laughs> among the white man. As, <laughs> as he bathes, he notices a body floating by on a drifting log. When he gets to the body, it comes alive and attacks. The man starts screaming out like a madman and attacks Kiwanote. During the struggle, they drift near the brakes. The half-drowned man is knocked unconscious on the rocks. 
Scalp Hunter's strength and ability to remain calm saves them both as he navigates through the rocks and away from the edge and gets them both to the shore. Builds a camp and a fire and feeds the man and tells him to rest. During the night, the man awakens and tries to steal Scalp Hunter's horse. Iwanote mm. is able to stop the well-trained horse with just a whistle. The sudden stop throws the rider. Iwanote pulls his knife and grabs the man by the hair. Demands answers from this thieving man, warning him that the white eyes call him Scalp Hunter. And it's the only the only other complaint about this issue is it's to be continued next issue. So you don't get to find out if Scalp Hunter lives up to his name in the back of this issue. You're gonna have to buy Jonah Hex number forty one to find out. So so quick question before we go any further. Um A that was great, Kirk. It was really good. But I, I've got one question. Did they ever bother giving any of the the 70s DC Western heroes? So ignore the the twins, the Trigger twins, and all the early stuff. Did they ever bother giving any of these guys a horse with a name? I don't remember one, at least not a recurring name. Okay. A lot of times. That's because they had to swap out horses a lot. Exactly. (laughs) And and that's what I was going to say. That's actually, I think... um, an argument for these Bronze Age Westerns, how well they're written, is, you know, there's no Cyclone or Midnight or, you know, Silver or whatever. I mean, that horse, like, in my issue, gets killed. Like, yeah, well, say, Jonah a loses a lot of horses. Yeah. And I, and, and I was going to say, did Scalp Hunter have the same kind of thing? Because I don't, I haven't read as much Scalp Hunter as I think you have. I only have a handful of the weird Westerns. But I actually like that about Jonah is like there's not like this pet horse because that that probably wouldn't have happened. No, not in the kind of lifestyle they lived. In fact, this is the first time in memory that there's any real sort of training. I mean, they mm-hmm. usually have good horses, right. but I've, I've I seem to remember they you know died when they rode off in the desert and right. they couldn't get the water and the animal dies or they get shot out from under them. Obviously, Scalp Hunter had trained this one better, or maybe maybe he'd gotten it from his Indian tribe. I'm not sure, but gotcha. I don't remember them ever having a, a, a you know an a equestrian sidekick, so to speak. Right, right. Because that's like a big thing in those Marvel westerns, and most of those are reprints from you know the 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 50s or your 60s. But yeah, they they always have a horse, and it's always the exact same horse the entire run of the series. You know, a rawhide kid, he would have gone through a couple of horses, you would have thought. Yeah, I mean, just riding out in the desert, the horse would have been like, oh, hell no. And right. you know, he'd have to put him <laughs> up in the stables. And that'd be a good way for an outlaw to get caught, having his horse that everybody knows, uh, you know, up at the stable for a few days to recover right. from a ride in the desert. Yeah, that was that also seemed to be another Marvel, a Marvel staple is the misunderstood cowboy. It seems like all of them Ringo Kid. Uh, two gun, rawhide, all of them are kind of like, you know, thought of as like no good Nixon. You know, they're misunderstood, and it's yeah, actually they're not... all out. They're all wanted by the right. law, yet none of them are truly outlaws. They're all truly heroes. I don't know it's how all... many stories I've read where basically it ends with like, "You're a good guy, rawhide." I, I'm going to ignore this wanted poster. You right. What town, kid Cole? What do you what do you what do you prefer, the DC 
western I, to I the think Marvel? I, I think I do. Because um, yeah. I, I, I picked up a lot of the Marvel one just because I hadn't read many for this month. And I'm enjoying them for what they are, but they're very simplistic. And you you read the same story over and over. And it's probably because Stan Lee, God knows how many of these he had written. Uh, and you but, probably start rehashing ideas. But aren't yeah, they a, de- a, a decade? To those. But aren't they like a decade two before? Decade or longer. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of that, the Marvel Westerns started in the 50s. Yeah. And DC's Westerns, for the most part, didn't start until the late 60s. Right. You know, you had Batlash somewhere around 68, 69. Jonah Hex came along around 1970. Scalp Hunter came around later in the decade. Right. 76, you know, 77. Yeah. You know, for the DC characters, I mean, they did have some in the 50s and 60s, like the Trigger Twins. And, right. I think Pow Wow Smith was one. Pow Wow Smith, yep. But uh, you know they didn't they didn't stick around like like Marvel's characters did. No, and I like that. I mean, it's just like comparing you know uh, some of the old uh, Stan Lee stories of anything compared to Marvel uh, uh, modern writing. Um, it, there's still a charm to it, but it does really make you appreciate the craftsmanship that went into those. Those Joan, I mean, this is, you, you know, in the era where Claremont was really world building with uh, the X-Men. Think of like how how many threads were in just those two issues of Jonah Hex I did. There was like five to six threads going on that were carried on, you know, four to five issues prior and forward. So I, I really appreciate that about him. I think I think it was ahead of its time and probably not totally appreciated. I don't think it is. I think a lot of it. A lot of people won't even read them. They'll just say, yeah. you know, that's not, uh, you know, quality stuff because it's not Claremont. It's not X-Men. Right. And I, I just don't think they get the credit for the quality they can contain. I mean, I've met many people who've said that they've picked up a Sergeant Rock or something because of something we've said online. And they're like, I'm, I was blown away by how good the story was, how good the artwork was. And the same with Jonah Hex and. You know, that people just disregard this stuff as, as, for some reason as this is disposable and kitty stuff, whereas their heroes are serious. And I'm like, I think y'all, you know, are, are really missing the boat on this. It's because in too. America, superheroes dominate. But, you know, even even um, Sergeant Fury, as much as I enjoy it, I think there's a higher level of storytelling in the DC stories than in, in, in Fury stuff. And oh I yeah, love, I I, I but totally agree. I love agree. the Howling Commandos, but I think Rock is written better. The losers are written better, you know. Yeah, I did. I thought it was bias. a big difference. Even yeah. when I was young, it was like I I would get a copy of Sergeant Fury and uh, compare it to an issue of Sergeant Rock, and I was like, I want to trade that comic away. I don't like the Sergeant Fury, <laughs> but I, but I would keep the Sergeant Rocks because. I was like, uh, it just wasn't for me. It, it was kind of uh, boring for me. Like, I don't know what it was, but now I might think differently. But when I was a kid, it was there was like flair to Sergeant Rock. Yeah. I think there's a charm to Fury. But once again, I think it's because it feels dated. And that's where the, the it's a nostalgia charm when you're reading it. Whereas the, the, the Rock stuff holds up still. Yeah. Know? The haunted tank still holds up. Well, you know some of the the southern stuff people might have a problem with now, unfortunately. But you know the actual storytelling still well done. Yeah. Did yeah, you have the, another? Uh, well, I was just gonna say that I agree completely that 
I I like the Marvel stuff. I enjoy it. At one point in my life, Sergeant Rock was my favorite, and Sergeant Fury was my second favorite. Right. Fury has fallen further down my list of favorites as I've grown and read more. But it just is. It's like apples and oranges. They're both war books, but to me, yeah, it's, it's different. A much more serious tone where you're not sure if this guy's going to survive the issue. Whereas Fury, it's more of it's kind of a superhero story set in wartime. They, you know, that the yelling yep. commandos are rather invincible, you know, and they storm Hitler's fortress. Hitler manages to slip away, but, you know, they make it out from behind the deepest part of the German lines and they're back getting cussed out by Happy Sam Sawyer at Faith <laughs> the next day. Yeah. You know. Well, it's it, it's kind of like taking a Silver Age Superman story and comparing it to like uh, Jerry Conway Spider Man. It's not really fair, you right? Know, because it's just a different level of sophistication to it. And and I think both of them are great. I love Silver Age Superman, but it's not it it's it's a different style of writing. Yeah. Do you have another one, Kirk? I did, and it's kind of a fringe western book to me i've bought these out of western comic boxes and i've bought them out of war comic boxes it's tomahawk number one oh, from september october 1968 and it's called tomahawk guilty of murder what number and was this number 118 and we open on a count so, this is one 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 character that i don't have I, I, if i have any Maybe one or two issues of. I don't have too much Tomahawk. I don't have. I've Same. Got, I have one. I've got a nice run towards the end of his series, but not a lot before that. I would say all like every issue I've got is probably after number one hundred. Tomahawk is one of those that would have benefited really well from getting a showcase. That way, they could have got you know some of those stories out there for people to read cheap. It's a shame that this, this, they quit before they got to that series. I really think they're missing the boat because Showcase is a great way for people to try new things and discover new things. And, and they, they've just abandoned it. And it's like DC is like the Batman network now and everything of us. Here's here's Batman and Batman's villain Joker and Batman's uh, sometimes girlfriend Catwoman. And here's Batman and Harley Quinn. Batman and hey, let's put Grifter in Batman. And I'm like, you know, I'm, there's more than Batman in DC, right? I looked at the solicits for for coming up uh, October. It's it's about to get even worse. <laughs> it really is. It, it, <laughs> you know? But but it, but it's all about Batman. marketing and Batman, but good lord, DC, give me something besides the Batman. It's what it's what sells. I mean, it is. So I mean, if, if, you're, if you're if you're if you're a bean right counter. Too. You're going to want to put out more of what sells and less of what doesn't. I mean, yep. I mean, it's just the nature of of the business. And I can understand that, but it always seems short-sighted because we've seen so many fads in comics where they kind of, you know, feed the beast and focus on one character and then it kind of dies off because, you know, I remember at one point Punisher had just a crap ton of books and then everything got canceled after a while. And it took a while for Punisher to really rebound from all that and well, yeah, I'll play... Bat- Batman is the standard of the market like he's even like what what the sales are mathematically computed by I, I'll so... even play devil's advocate if it wasn't for him we wouldn't have seen El Diablo or Grifter in a book anytime recently you know yeah. 
at least the characters are getting used. Well, I will say I'm I'm thankful for that. As long as they don't just totally screw up the character. (laughs) No, they they try to do what they can to diversify their line. Like in U52, they tried to throw out Western and war and and everything but it 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 didn't didn't work it, it didn't sell and then when dc uh between u52 and uh rebirth there was dcu and they diversified their line with prez and a bunch of other stuff <laughs> and they man did, that was a good book yeah they had prez and um uh batmite and like just just a lot of weird stuff Gotham Academy a bizarro Gotham yeah. Academy I mean and and those didn't take off so it, it I, I understand where they're coming from because you got to please your boss and your boss is saying well how many copies did you sell and then and then you they throw you a bone every now and then just so, so they can keep the licensing rights right. um, but that's what that's what's happening I think that Gotham Academy this is a little off topic, sorry, but it just made me think. I think that Gotham Academy, Academy was the right book, but the wrong format. That should have been one of those like those young adult graphic novels, and I think it would have been a hit. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It needed to go to the scholastic op. Um, it, it sure did. Route instead of the you know direct market. Because it was it was basically a, a really cute book and uh, it was a good kid book and it it just didn't hit it it didn't get to its audience. Kid book or not, it was good. Like it, it was the, good. the, the mis- it the mystery behind it. I it was more like in all ages. It was just uh, it really was yep. well rounded. Anyway, we run you off the rails there, buddy. I'm sorry. Let's hear yeah. about Mr. Tomahawk. <laughs> no, you're fine. I enjoy. It. I enjoy talking about comics like nothing else. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Let's get so back on to Tomahawk, Tomahawk. Number 118. Tomahawk is Tomahawk Guilty of Murder is the name of our tale. We open on a council of, of chiefs who are deciding whether they will align with the British, Redcoats, or the Yankees, and they have decided to postpone their decision until Firecloud arrives because he has had experience with both sides. They want to hear his opinions on this before they decide for sure. So Tomahawk and his rangers are tasked with escorting Firecloud safely to this very important meeting. British Commander Sly has a plan, though. Sly has Bruiser Benson infiltrate the rangers. Tomahawk is very suspicious of Bruiser, but the rangers seem to like him. Bruiser sets up some traps, but the ranger's skill keeps the group alive. Bruiser sneaks off after stealing Tomahawk's rifle and powder, Brings it to Sly while all his fellow rangers are sleeping. He asks Sly, what is the plan? Sly says, I'm setting Tomahawk up for murder. And kills Bruiser. The, ranger find, the rangers find Bruiser's body near the camp. And Tomahawk's fired rifle. They hold a trial. Tomahawk is found guilty and seemingly executed. They leave that poor bastard's body and move out. Sly and his redcoats advance to inspect the body. They've been waiting in the woods. They come out to see the body and shoot him in the head. It seemed a little brutal, but the sly wanted to finish him off and make sure he was dead. Suddenly, the rangers burst out and attack the redcoats. They've been tricked. He wants to know how. Tomahawk says they dressed up Bruiser's body in his buckskins. So they managed to get Firecloud to the Council of Chiefs, who advises them to align with the Yankees. 
so history is set and tomahawk is alive well and guess what not guilty we got a backup tale about old cane tuck this one i really enjoy better than the lead story it's illustrated by fred ray who if you're not familiar has done a lot of work for dc i think he did the lead feature on some of the old tomahawks but i know him best for doing some civil war backup stories and some of the bronze age war books and i really like his work and it shows the progression of old cane tuck who's the fiercest fighter among tomahawks rangers and how he had originally been a pacifist had been cheated lied to and stolen from and he became the most fierce fighter of the redcoats after they gunned down his friend who was unarmed so i guess the moral of the story is don't gun down a friend's best friend unarmed <laughs> i don't i don't know. <laughs> And that's but a Neil, Neil I, Adams cover on that, huh? Neil Adams did some, some issues, some covers for, for this era of Tomahawk. And what I find interesting is in the, uh, in the letters column titled Let's Talk with Tomahawk, there's a fan letter from writer Tony Isabella, who's nice. writing, in, writing in to say that the Neil Adams cover on one of the previous issues is one of the finest comic book covers, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the finest comic covers ever published. That's interesting so I, I, that the two covers that he did is uh, Tomahawk uh, either strapped to a tree uh, or strapped to the ground um, in 119. <laughs> <laughs> right. One, what, 119 looks a lot like the weird western with tax. Um, yeah, it does. I like the weird western one a little more as far as the uh, layout of um, the design that is there but it's like he's pinned to the ground left to die and this looks like right before basically uh frank thorne takes over on art man some of these issues coming up are probably good ones yeah i like frank thorne i've got a few of his issues yeah. but uh the art well, he's on got this, a lot of no covers given on the on this first story but uh According to my comic shop, I looked it up, and I think it was Jerry Grandinetti is who they credited it to. And yeah. the art in it just doesn't really do anything for me. Sure. Yeah, the only issue I have is a few issues before. I have the one with uh, Chief Iron Hands, uh, number 114. And uh, that was that was one given to me by, uh, I want to say, um, you know, the guy who, who does... Uh, the uh, I am the gun podcast. Mark, he, he he sent me that one, and that's the only, that's the only issue of Tomahawk I've even got. I really liked it though. I only Mark, have one thirty-seven, which is a Joe Kubert one. Um, it actually looks like an episode of Bloom on the comic book. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, it does. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> yeah. Son of Tomahawk. <laughs> yeah. I love that comic Bloom. It's so good. That's one of that my favorite reads of the uh, year so far. Um, so what I got is uh, Weird Western Tales number 19. Uh, it's a 20 center book. This is by uh, John Albano and uh, Tony Dezanuga. He, he draws a lot of westerns and he does a really good job of art doing it. 
this is a uh, a prison. Uh, what what do they call it? A chain gang type thing uh, where yeah. the the cowboys are sort of watching over the the prisoners, and it's a prison break. And during the prison break, um, one of these guys gets away thanks to this this one guy. And uh, Jonah Hex is hired. Well, actually, there's a bounty on this guy's head to go after it. And the thing about this guy is <laughs> he, he uh, poisons the water holes everywhere he goes. So anybody that follows him, uh, if they stop to get water in terms of their horse or them, they'll die. So, uh, you know, Hex goes after him and he he does capture the one guy that rescued him but he captures both of them but they get away and then he kills the one guy his his friend uh which is weird because he's a a black african-american that saved this uh white guy from jail because apparently in the past he saved him from a hanging and now he's paying him back by saving him but he uh, ended up, ended up killing him, and uh, Jonah Hex is is sort of knocked out. He saves a little kid. Uh, that kid is kind of crucial. He carries him on his shoulders the whole time. Uh, they find um, a wagon with his parents dead because they drank the water, and the kid is all that's left. And Hex carries him along to try to take him somewhere, and then gets injured, and he's rescued and uh, healed back by a beautiful blonde woman who doesn't seem to care about his ugly looks and is actually attracted to him. But uh, he leaves the kid with her and then takes off on his mission to go capture the guy. And then there's a huge gunfight and um, Hex doesn't get... Hex gets shot again in a gunfight and then later finds the guy dead or talking to him like I I had forgotten I poisoned this hole because he got <laughs> he got thirsty and he ended up drinking his own Kool-Aid and killed himself, <laughs> uh, which was a very interesting twist to the story. The other thing I want to say is Way I bought go, this. dummy. <laughs> I bought this from um, my comic shop and it was listed as a VG fine copy and it looks like. <laughs> near mint to me i mean it looks fantastic um the second story is el diablo and this one i really enjoyed i don't know a lot about el diablo but uh he seems to be like a zorro type character with some kind of bout of supernatural and uh this is by carrie bates and uh, alfredo alcala and uh it starts off as there's a train uh, going, and this uh, blonde woman is screaming like, "Don't kill my father! Don't kill my father!" And this cowboy like throws him off the back of the train, and he's like a 70-year-old man. And El Diablo Diablo sees him, and uh, he he says, "They got Nancy aboard that train! Save her! Save her!" And that's kind of like his dying wish. And uh, meanwhile, there's a train station, and the train blows past it. Like, everybody's waiting for the train, and the train goes speeding past it. Well, it turns out that this train has been hijacked by a bunch of criminals, and there's gold on this train, so they want the gold, and they're killing the passengers 
as they uh, as they need to. Either that or throwing them off the train. And um, El Diablo boards the train and ends up fighting uh, some guys. The guy draws the gun and he has those like bolos or whatever you know those uh, strings tied with balls. Um, he throws them and like knocks the gun out of his hand. And then when he's fighting them, he shoots. They're in the back of a, a train that's carrying coal. He shoots the latch on it, and the coal kind of takes the guy out, uh, which is a key part to the scene because there's gold on this train. Um, and then he takes out like five or six uh, members of the train. One of them's really funny because he runs into this one guy, and he goes, no, not El Diablo. I heard stories about you. No devil's laying a hand on me. I'll jump off and save my own skin. And he, he jumps off the train, and it's off a cliff. The, the train happens to be going off a cliff, and he falls to his death. But uh, it's a really bad timing. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And uh, meanwhile, he, he gets the head criminal. And the head criminal's there, and he throws uh, El Diablo throws the gold bar to him, and he says, "Why don't you get your knife and uh, uh, cut into that gold bar?" And he shaves it off, and he realizes that it's it's uh, iron covered with uh, gold paint. And he said, "Do you think the people on this train were stupid enough to carry the gold like that?" And they he said they hid they hid it in the coal, and all the coal just bled out when he <laughs> shot the latch. And uh, this guy, this guy's so obsessed, he's like nuts in, in the main train cabin. And uh, El Diablo la unlatches the, um, the, the train cars from the engine. And uh, so the engine's just going off by itself. And the guy's like, I got to get the gold. I got to go. And he's like going nuts. And the train ends up crashing. And uh, he ends up dying. But uh, I really enjoyed that uh, El Diablo story a little bit more than I did the Hex. Um, it was quite entertaining. And then my I was actually looking for an El Diablo to read for Western Comics Month, but I, I couldn't find a copy in time. Yeah, he, sh he, just, he just showed up in Batman Superman, uh, the, the, the new series. Gene Lang, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was it was cool the little interlude during they they you know because they were going movie to movie and they end up that in guy LD. does yeah that guy does a lot of historical stuff it's pretty oh cool. I love it yeah yeah he he brought the radio show characters back to the book <laughs> I know right yeah it's like, like the, the pretty incredible ones? yeah the serials yeah, yeah it's, it's good a, stuff it's crazy um my next book is I I just ran across this one. I bought it at the shop just like two weeks ago. I already had it, but I was like, I can never turn down an Elvira comic. Yeah, um, sure. so, so it was there as Elvira's House of Mystery number three. And it was on my stack, and I was like, wow. She's got. She's saying, want to know how the West was really won? And this cover is pretty sexy. She's got the <laughs> gun, and she's like blowing on it, you know, blowing the smoke that's off the gun. It's a beautiful uh, cover by Dennis Cohen and Dick Giordano. But uh, the art is done by Stan Walk, and it, it is beautiful. He draws Elvira really nice. Uh, Joey Cal Calaveri is the uh, writer. And uh, the opening scene 
if you've read uh, Elvira's House of Mystery, it's kind of interesting because it opens up like in the early issues of her running away from a mob and they're trying to burn her like in Frankenstein's monster. They're trying to kill her and she ends up opening the door to the house of mystery and, uh, Kane is missing and, um, she sort of takes over like the storytelling of the house and that's how she got there. But, uh, she's all in Western gear and she's like, uh, going to tell us this story and this story has a singing cowboy, but the singing cowboy is a skull. And uh, it's pretty funny because she doesn't like his singing at all. <laughs> uh, but uh, he's telling the story, and it opens up with a, a cowboy named Dundee. And uh, this woman is bathing uh, in the lake. And she says, Mr. Dundee, please let me have my clothes. And he's like, sure, you got to do is come out of the water for him because he wants to see her naked. And uh, she, he, he, she's like, I, I don't want to come out, but promise me to tell my, don't tell my fiance about this, because she's getting married. She doesn't want this guy to see her naked, and uh, he's jealous of this guy. He's like, you'll never marry Phil Brown. He's got milk in his veins. Well, Phil Brown comes out. There's a huge fight. These guys fight in the lake for a long time, and it looks like her fiance wins. And she eventually comes out of the lake naked, but um, her her uh, fiancé gives her some uh, clothing off of uh, his back. And it looks like he beat the crap out of the guy that was uh, trying to see her naked. But uh, he says, you'll never get married. He's like totally jealous. So they get married. They, they go to the preachers. Both father-in-laws are there. Uh, they're celebrating. They they do the kiss and they're like kiss her again, and everybody's celebrating because um, one of the fathers is a sheriff, the other one is uh, runs a train. He's an engineer of a train, and this guy takes a a gun, a rifle from the across the street, and ends up shooting the guy in the back, so that that guy's dead and she's left without her husband. Um, but meanwhile, her father. Uh, goes and draws the gun because he's a sheriff and they capture him and they put him on the train to be hanged but he breaks out and uh, kills the sheriff and the guy, the engineer that's running the train but what's interesting is this this train this is weird western ta- I mean this isn't weird western tales but it's house of mystery so the weird stuff happens because of the supernatural well the train keeps on going and drives him and stops right at hanging rock this is where they hang people <laughs> and the the whole crowd just grabs him and takes him to the noose and hangs him <laughs> so uh and then you see the dead guy's eyes of the engineer he's dead and uh his eyes are just staring like with some kind of satisfaction that uh justice was done and then avira comes back and then the second story is not a western but it's an interesting one i'll just mention it real quickly it's called one way passage and it's about uh an elevator that leads all these people that have sinned in life to various levels of hell to receive their punishment and uh that one is a pretty nice uh story too by robert kaniger and uh jess uh jodloman on art but uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Those were my books. 
I've got a question, nice. and, and maybe we've asked this before. So if I'm if I'm pulling like a, a an Alzheimer's moment, uh, I apologize. But was the were these stories that were left over from the initial run of House of Mystery? But Elvira was hot, and they were like, "Let's give her a book," and they pulled out old inventory stories. I don't think so because Elvira okay. shows up in panels. Okay, gotcha. So if gotcha. she didn't, if she wasn't in the panels, I. Unless they like editor editor in later on, but it seems to be the same artist. These look like news stories. Okay. And cool. this is when Elvira was hot, but right. uh, I I think her book was somewhat popular, and you could join like the Elvira fan club, and you'd get a an autographed color eight by ten photograph, six page newsletter, a bumper sticker, a mini poster for all six bucks. And nice. uh, this is this is when uh, around the time I think it's eighty seven when the Dark Knight Returns was coming out. Okay. Yeah, the only reason I even thought of that was because I don't know if you remember that last book I covered, but that unexpected. That's totally what I think it was. Was all those series had got canceled and it had like a war story and a sci fi story and everything just slammed into it. So I was. I was wondering if, you know, since you said Kaniger worked on it, I was wondering yeah. if that was like old stuff. But well, the second very... one could have been an inventory story because Elvira was not drawn into it. Okay. So um, that one could, could have be been. Could be a maybe. Gotcha. Okay, but, very but cool. The main, the main stories, they seem to be like brand new because they're always playing off of uh, Kane and right. Elvira. So... Um, they would have to do some like uh, uh, art after the fact to make it fit, and it's it's strange that they would do it with the same artist if they did do but that. Those are hard to find. I think I only have one of those, uh, and I don't see them very often. The Elvira books. Yeah, that's why I pick them up, even though I have multiple copies. I don't have a full <laughs> run, but it's i i have a, i'm a sucker for elvira and then and you throw the house of mystery on top of that and i like it even more but uh yeah no doubt yeah very cool yeah but i yeah I've, my guess i don't know but my guess would be there they probably did have a couple of inventory stories but that a lot of it was new stuff okay because i think dc at that time kept inventory stories and if this was back in the days when artists were shipping their pages to New York to be published. And so if, if a, you know, the truck was, was late carrying your package, they'd run a story they had in a drawer somewhere. Sure. And they might bump your story and that might become an inventory story or it may be used in the next issue. Yeah, I think the inventory stories might be the second, like the backup features. And the first right. story was, was brand new. And then Elvira comes in at the end, so those panels are just redrawn. And this is this is not comics code, if I remember it right, right? Uh, yeah, there's no comics. Yeah, there's a comics code on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, approved by the comics code. Okay. Oh, not that one's not, but what number one and two were? That's interesting. I thought the one I had did not have one on there, which I thought was unusual in that era. Well, it's weird because some of them have it and some of it don't as I'm looking through the covers right now. 
Yeah, I'm gonna double check mine now while we're talking about it because I had um I have the back to school one, and uh, okay, no, it is it it is a one that had the comics code on it. My bad. Yeah, number eleven has a Dave Stevens cover too. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, that's a pretty one. Yeah, these ones He's are hard one to come by. I the most. Dave? Yeah, he yeah. did some good stuff. He did very little, but what he did was magic, you know? Yeah. So, he did a lot of covers, but interiors, man, you have the Rocketeer. <laughs> and some other weird titles, but there isn't a lot of interiors. And the Rocketeer, man, it's it's amazing that movie is so perfect because the comic book was very sporadic and went across three different companies for him to tell that arc. Yeah, I feel like I have some of it. I have, uh, what was it, Star Slayer? It, it yeah. It was like a backup. Yeah. I, have, I have those, yeah. And then it went That's... to Rocketeer Adventures, and I think Rocketeer Adventures was... Uh, was it Kamiko or it was some other title and then then it went to Dark Horse it, it was it's crazy it bounced everywhere yeah and then IDW recollected it but uh th- we wrapped it up and that was a good show good western show good job good job for mentioning it there Joe yeah I, I, I thought I, I was I, too bad Rob missed it he but he's at the drive-in probably watching snake eyes <laughs> well I hope he enjoys it uh, I, I'm glad that anytime we get to talk to you guys it's uh not often enough uh we're gonna have to like start a spin-off show just so we can talk more yeah <laughs> I'm all uh, for that <laughs> all right so you guys can reach us at uh at Iowa's Joe, at Big Five Army, and at Mike Myers Brunch, and at Rob Krieger on Twitter. And uh, we'll we'll be back with uh, next themes, next month's themes, once Joe tells us what it is. <laughs> I'm getting get on it. Hot babes laying in the bed on the Jonah Hex cover. Yeah, it's a romance <laughs> comics or something. I don't, romance <laughs> month. But... Uh, <laughs> It's been a pleasure, and you guys have the, a good uh, good night, I guess, because you guys are pretty late. <laughs> yeah. I got to go finish mopping the floor in there. That's oh, right. Get, get to work, Cinderella. That's right. <laughs> All right. It was good talking to you guys. Y'all have a good night. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Right, bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>